I'm Corey Crenshaw. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. Sporting Nation. Um, happy Monday, everyone. It's probably the most relaxing Monday that you can have after having to hear about election coverage for an entire week beforehand. 2020 has been unlike anything I think any of us have ever experienced, including, um, you know, the election and everything that's just been going on. It's been, uh, none of it's been normal and, um, I think we're all starting to just kind of get to the point where we understand that not normal is the new normal. But we do have a ton of hockey stuff to talk about this week, so I know as tired as you all are probably of the issues going on and everything, we have a lot of good hockey to talk about and a lot of good random shit to talk about per the usual, so... Um, we're glad that you're joining us on this wonderful Monday and we do have some cool news because we got some numbers out, but I'll wait until I introduce Richie before we talk about those. So per the usual, my wonderful and amazing co-host, Richie Suave Flores, how you doing? Hello, Corey. I'm in a very good mood today on this episode for a couple reasons. The first of which is, like you said, after a very stressful week Congratulations to President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris. Congratulations to the both of them. And also, we got some good news like this week, as you just so hinted at. As I like to call it, we are the fastest-growing Arizona Coyotes podcast in in the world, in the entire world. We are also the... And, and this goes to show that Coyotes fans are amazing. Absolutely. 100% amazing. Like I even added like a dramatic pause in there to just kind of show how great they are. We are also, at, from last month's numbers, the third most listened to podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. And out of all of the NHL teams and actually beating most of the original um shows that we have here too. Um, I think there's only one original show that, that beat us as well. So um, yeah, we, we're third out of all of the teams that are in the NHL, out of the 31 teams. Like how cool is that? And uh, that includes a lot of Canadian ones. And um, I'm not saying that we have some more dedicated fans here in AZ that they're, you know, turning out in these type of numbers, but I'm, I'm saying that. Yes. Thank you. Sporty nation. You're the reason why we are the fastest growing Arizona Coyotes podcast in the world. And if you're listening to us, you can continue to help us grow by following us on Twitter at Corey underscore Richie show and on Instagram at Corey Richie show. You can subscribe to the show. You can follow the show. Make sure you rate us and review us on wherever you are listening to us right now. It helps us out quite a bit. So thank you, Sporty Nation. Y'all are truly the best and have been for, geez, over the what the last three plus years that we've been doing this show, 
in the different iterations that we have been in. So here's what's coming up on the show, Corey. We have, we have, you have a bone to pick with me. We put it out on Twitter and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. We of course have the biggest debate of the week related to the, how you like your election news presented. We'll talk about that. We have some NHL 21 news related to the Coyotes that we'll talk about. Some interesting speculation there. We're going to catch up on some Oliver Eichmann Larson comments that he made last week that we didn't get a chance to get to. So we'll talk about that and some good news with ASU hockey. And we'll also hit on Craig Morgan's article from Sunday, which I thought was really interesting. So we'll hit on that. And of course, we'll wrap up the show with our random shit headlines from around the world. But Corey, please explain to the Sporting Nation why you were so well, I guess you weren't angry at me earlier in the week, but I think you were uh, starting to question your friendship with me over something I did. I'm not questioning our friendship as much as it just truly flustered me. Like I was so triggered by this and I, and I had talked to some of our other friends. Um, I talked to Fern and Dawn about this um, last night, actually. And it's funny because they said that they had thought that they'd seen you do this before too and that it didn't trigger them the same way it triggered me. But, okay, when you do the normal five, you know, you just put a, like a, a five, your five fingers in like a normal hand. If you do six, you usually do like a, a pointer finger. Some people will do, you know, like a thumbs up even maybe like for six. Richie used his pinky of all things his pinky and it triggered me so much I couldn't believe that I was seeing him use his pinky as a six even just looking at it right now I'm doing my my fingers up trying to ignore the two band-aids I have on my fingers because I cut myself opening my wine earlier um but I digress even just ignoring that and looking at the hand and the pinky it's just weird. I can't get behind this, Richie. I, I love you, but there is there's something with this that just I cannot support. So you put out the poll on our Twitter feed and in a sense closed by the time you're listening to this, but you asked if uh our Flores ninety one's way of showing the number six with his hands has Corey flustered. How are you feeling? Flustered, crushing it, over ninety percent of the vote. And we also got a lot of responses from the sporting nation and a lot of people were were i think questioning my sanity including andrew with the golden knight show here on the hockey podcast network he said the fuck is that (laughs) nick from the sharks podcast said i saw that and was triggered clay friend of the show says richie what the actual fuck and then tom franklin said that's not how it works so i have pissed off a lot of people because of this but you know what i'm gonna stand by it because if you learn anything on this show, Sporty Nation, and so I am one of a kind. I am a weirdo. I stand by the fact that I'm a weirdo. I stand by all of my weird things that I do. I get called called out on it all the time. Even even with Kenny and Crash, they call me out. They actually called me out recently for something similar because in a different video, I had I had. I was doing the donut review video and I did the same thing where I used my fingers weirdly and Kenny called me out on that on the show 
and off air because I, I, I do the number three in a weird way too. So can I explain to you and defend myself here as to why I do the, do the way I do with my fingers? That yes, sounded dirty. But let, me, but... let me just preface something very quickly. Richie is one of the most original people I know. Some people may call it weird. Some people might call it strange, but it is one of the things that makes you you. And so when I say these things, like when I say that I, that I'm flustered by you and that all these things, I genuinely mean this out of love and the fact that like it, it's more to point out Richie's uniqueness and the fact that like it he makes life interesting because of the fact that he is so different and has a different way of doing things. So whenever I say these things, it's not an open um it's not an open forum for people to just like bash Richie to make themselves feel better about themselves. It's actually more to kind of celebrate his uniqueness and how funny it is that he has these little quirky things, but that, that is genuinely Richie, what makes you who you are. And, and as one of your best friends, um, I applaud you for it. Just, I wanted to preface that before anything else went out further because I don't ever want people to, um, I don't ever want people to think that that's my intentions by this. Cause that's not it at all. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I, I never took, I, I see, here's the thing. I rather enjoy when people make fun of me because I think it's hilarious because I'm the first person to make fun of myself for it. But let me explain why I did that. What I did with the, with the number, with the number six on my hand. So I am really weird in that I don't like, so when I do the number three, I don't put use my index finger, my middle finger, and my my other my other finger um, because it's too hard to do. Like I have to think to do it. So I just use my my pinky finger, my middle finger, and the one in between that. I don't use my index finger at all. So when I do the six, it's just easier for me to do five on one hand and the pinky. That's just, it's just easier. It's just, that's just my quick reaction. That's, it's just easier for me to do than having to think and put up my index finger. Cause I, I don't, it's just weird to me. It just feels weird. So that's why I do the six with the pinky finger. And you know what? If you don't like it, go fuck yourself, sporty nation. Okay. See, now I'm triggered. Now I am, tr now I am triggered, Corey. Now you got me angry. Now you know how we feel though. <laughs> Those of us that got triggered. <laughs> from this like I genuinely got flustered when I saw this I was like what am I looking at Richie what are you doing what are you doing it it's the funniest thing because like you wouldn't think that something as simple as like using the wrong finger would trigger someone but I mean as much as it's making fun of the way that you do it it's also making fun of me that I got triggered by that like I was like what is going on here why am I so triggered by you putting your pinky up. Now I'm just afraid that people are going to start putting their pinky up on things just to freak me out. But like I said in the text, I said when uh, you put your pinky out is classy. So that's why I did it. That's why I did it. Sporting Nation. Don't go. You can go see the picture. It's up on our, our Twitter page if you want to go see it and make fun of me some more. Um, we have some some another very divisive topic to talk about before we move on to the Coyotes news of the week, which is. Related to the election, but not politics related. It's actually because I have found that this week there are two types of people in the world. There are either the people who are Team Kornacki or Team John King. And 
I am very passionate about this. And I'm, of course, a big-time Steve Kornacki stan. He is my favorite among the the net the or excuse me the cable news stat pundits like the magic wall and it's because he is more entertaining than John King. To me John King is too boring. He's monotone. He he's doesn't seem like he's having fun doing it and I was like I don't want to watch somebody like my grandfather try to tell me who's winning in the states and the thing and the thing. I don't like it. It's like give me Steve Kornacki who is like excited all the time. He kind of reminds me of me in a way cuz that's how I am at least if I'm on air somewhere that's I have a, a sense of energy about me. At least I try to and Steve Kornacki brings that to my television screen all week long and I rather enjoy it. It's a very stressful week obviously, but Steve Kornacki made it less stressful for me. So I was team Kornacki. Richie, Richie, Richie. Let's let's first start with the fact that don't act like you came up with that. I was the one that told you that that man is you. Like, he has the energy of 20 people. Like, the way that he was able to keep that energy up is is the most richy thing I have ever seen. So, um, I don't know if he was you in another timeline, um, if he has been drinking the same coffee as you. I don't know what it is, but there is, like a definitely a similarity there and that was the when Richie was trying to push this this agenda on me um I was like Richie you believe in this and you are you support him so hard so heartedly because of the fact that he is just like you I love John King because of the fact that he is so dry and I am like a big dry humor person like that is a that is me, like, 100%. Like, I really enjoy, like, kind of that dry humor that, like, some other people might not catch. And some of the things that he says are, they don't, they are meant to be funny. But when he says them in such a dry way, I was laughing, like, multiple times watching him. And which is difficult because it was literally everyone mostly just saying, we have to be patient. We have to count the ballots. We have to be patient. We have to count the ballots. But I, I thoroughly enjoy him. I like his uh, his dryness to him. It, it entertains me. But here's my question now: Is John King, I believe, still has a he still has shows on on CNN all the time, so he has other things to do. But what happens to Steve Kornacki now? Because I don't think he hosts any shows on MSNBC. Does the, does he just go back into hibernation now? For two years until the congressional midterms in 2022? I don't know. What does Steve Kornacki do when there's not an election? That's a really good question. Like, does, is he human? You know, maybe, (laughs) maybe he is a robot that they created just for your entertainment during the election time. You never know. You know, throw out that conspiracy theory. Sure, why not? But, I mean, um, that is very interesting. That's a, like that's a good point. I still feel like no matter what, I made the comparison when I was talking about this with a, with a few people. Like to me, this is their version of being a firefighter that actually gets to fight a fire. You know, like they go through their entire four years or whatever. Well, I guess every two they get to do it. So like. 
we go through every two years, like trying to um, just do their normal day. But like when they shine is when there's an election. So that's like their ability to do what they were actually intended to do. But so I'm sure they, they thrive off of just that time. So I don't know, maybe that's enough for Kornacki, just getting that like, like the Olympics. Yeah, that's pretty much what he did. That was his Olympics. He's like Michael Phelps. He showed up for the Olympics. He won 17 gold medals. And now he's just going to like go eat a bunch of cheeseburgers like Michael Phelps would do after he probably won the after he finished the Olympics games. He's like, oh, thank God. I can go eat some cheeseburgers and not have to worry about being in tip top shape for a little while. So maybe that's what he's going to do because he he certainly deserves. And so does John King. And so do pretty much every anchor on every network that covered the election, you got to hand it to them. They were rolling hours that were just ridiculous. Like you'd see for like, for example, um, Lester Holt with NBC, right? He finished up the Tuesday election coverage into or very early Wednesday morning at 2 AM Arizona time. Okay. And he was back on the air like eight hours later and he did another full day of coverage. Same well, thing with like Wolf Blitzer or or Rachel Maddow or Brian Williams. Like all they were just on Anderson Cooper, Don Lemon. They never slept. Here's my other question that I have, which I completely agree with you because yeah, they they like hardly ever slept. They were going through it so quickly. That, like, and I'm sure they by the time that they actually like were able to relax and go to sleep and wake up, they probably only got like four hours of sleep. But um. The other, the other thing I have in this is, was Kornacki wearing dress shoes? I don't know. I don't think he was. John King was wearing dress shoes. Oh. That man That's stood tough. in yeah. dress shoes. It was because we noticed um, Cuomo wearing, like, um, sneakers. They looked like they were, like, Ultra Boost or something. Um, when he was walking through um, on like the night crew side of things. And so we were like, talking about it and we're like, Oh, well, you know, everyone probably has to wear those. And then someone's like, Oh, well, you know, John King um, was wearing dress shoes today. And I was like, there's no way he was wearing dress shoes. Good. Good for him. Cause most anchors I don't think do cause they sit behind desks and they just wear their, you know, nice, nice dress above the waist. And then they have jeans and and uh, comfortable shoes on. So, congrats. Yeah, good job, John King, with that. I applaud you for that. I'm still Team Kornacki, though. There's You have no other way of convincing me. Okay, let's move on to some hockey news of the week. Surprisingly, even during the offseason, we just spent 20 minutes talking about everything but hockey. There is some hockey news to get to here. So including something that we were sent by uh, one of our, our co-hosts here on the Hockey Podcast Network, Carter from the, the Anaheim Ducks podcast. And he sent us some pictures from NHL 21. They just updated their their uniforms and their rosters, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a very interesting curiosity that in the NHL 21 video game, they list the Kachinas as the home jerseys and they list the red jerseys, which we normally think as their home jerseys 
as the alternate jerseys. And so this led us to to ponder, oh, maybe they're leaking that the Kyries are indeed going to move to the Kachinas as their official home jersey. Now, they were slated to wear the Kachinas 25 times this year because of the 25th anniversary, which is more than half of the scheduled home games, which is normally 41. So maybe that's why they did it. But it would be super great if the Kyries ditched the red uniforms just and kept the Kachina for their home jerseys all the time. It would be so cool, but I feel like super unconventional because then they would, you would have the Kachinas like essentially like a throwback jersey that's at home and then a modern jersey away. And I feel like it it's not cohesive enough for them. Like, I feel like that's not cohesive enough for like the NHL, but I would really like to see it. I would love to see the, the Kachinas anyways, like, I'm literally just staring at the Kachina on my coaster right now on my table holding my wine because I enjoy the Kachina so much. Like I would much rather see that. Like me and you were both there when they unveiled um, their their newest uniforms, like when they came out and, and we liked them and everything. And, and I don't think anything bad of them. I have um, them upstairs. Like I I own those jerseys. I like them but I just love the Kachinas and I think everyone does. I think that's it. Everyone keeps on making, um, make a statement that is going to unify the country. It was like a tweet that was going around. Mine should have been that the, the Kachina jerseys are the best because I feel like that's a completely unifying statement. I 100% agree. So I'm curious as to what I think happened here is that they are, they made them the home jerseys because they were expected to essentially wear that wear those at home more so than they were expected to wear the red ones at home this year. And so that's why they did that. I don't think there's anything else in the works. However, league-wide, there seems to be this movement of fourth jerseys now, which is a lot of them are kind of referred to as like reverse retro jerseys. And so it's basically maybe older style type jerseys but the colors are flipped, and there's a bunch of them that have leaked out so far, including the Flyers have leaked out, the Pittsburgh Penguins have leaked out, a couple other ones have leaked out, if I'm not mistaken, too. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we find out, as the season gets closer, that the Coyotes are doing some sort of a fourth jersey, and that it is Kachina-related. So I wonder I wonder what it would look like if... Because a lot of times with all they do is they just flip-flop the colors... And, that, and that's it. Like you, you flip flop the black and the orange of the Flyers, or you flip flop the yellow and white of the of the Penguins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So maybe, maybe that is coming down the pike for the Coyotes, but we just don't know quite yet if that's the case. Yeah, I, I mean, I would be perfectly fine with basically anything as long as it's got the Kachina on it. And I think that that the Coyotes deserve the hype, so I would always enjoy that type of hype coming because. Like I said, everyone loves the Kachina. Why not go with the Kachina? So I would I would agree with anything that has the Kachina into it. I mean, there is always a way to flip things and change things and destroy things. I mean, it's funny because everyone was all up in arms about the um, the Dallas Stars ones. So the ones that were black with the 
bright green mm-hmm. and it's funny because everyone like absolutely hated them and and so it proves that you can by changing things even if you think they're more subtle changes people will be pissed as hell i didn't mind them that much i really didn't hate them that badly and uh maybe that says something about my own taste i don't know but i i thought they were actually kind of cool um my boyfriend begged to differ. He thought they were the ugliest jerseys he's ever seen. So, um, you know, there's always a way to ruin something. So it's there's always a walking that fine line. But um, I would love to see anything that has the Katrina on it. I agree. Okay, let's move on to the Oliver Ekman Larsen interview that came out of Sweden last week. We didn't get a chance to touch on it on our show last week because we had a busy show talking about Mitchell Mitchell Miller, among other things. But let's dive into some of this now because I think it's pretty interesting and it makes sense. It 100% makes sense as far as I'm concerned because I feel like with Oliver's actions, I I, I think we felt like the reason why he, he only had the, the two-team list is he was forcing the Coyotes' hand and basically – he was trying to make it hard, as hard as possible for the Coyotes to trade him because he wanted to stay here. And that's what he said in this interview that was translated from Swedish. He said, um, he said, I have a clause in my contract. It's a no, uh, no trade, no move clause. At the same time, I did not want to stand in the way if the organization felt otherwise. Um, that's how I am as a person. It's more than if they wanted to remove me, I set up the two clubs as an alternative. But as I said, I wanted nothing better than to continue in Arizona. So it feels good that it turned out the way it did. In addition, I really enjoy living here. Of course, this also comes into play and would have made it even harder for me to move. And of course, like we said on a previous previous show, anytime we brought up Oliver Ekman Larson, there's a reason why he decided to sign here with the Coyotes and stay here as opposed to going elsewhere. He just for whatever reason, really likes it here in Arizona, despite his his disagreements with the coaching staff, etc. Yeah, I mean, it's not really um, that surprising coming from OEL. Like, that was part of his whole thing is he made the list very short because of his no-move clause. Like, he made the list so short that it would be very difficult for them to trade him. He's made it super clear that he likes it here. He wants to be here and that's fine, but he's expensive. He's a very expensive player and this team has become a very expensive team. So getting that, uh, getting rid of his contract to help the salary cap would have been huge. And so it's hard because you're fighting with the fact that there's a player that wants to be here but plays like he doesn't want to be here. And that might be my hot take of this episode, but he acts and says everything he wants about like wanting to be here and he likes to live here and whatnot. I mean, like, you know, Richie and I being born and raised here, we understand loving to live here. Um, But I mean, come on, you haven't been playing like, you enjoy being here because if you were playing like you enjoyed being here, you'd be playing at the caliber that you're being paid. He went on to say and talk about his his time as as the captain here, um, 
or excuse me, this is from from Bill Bill Armstrong talking about all of Reckman Larson. My bad. He says he has the job to play and the and be the captain and be an impact player. Well, my job is to look at all the assets and how I can change the franchise. That's something I was brought here to do, and I did that. So I think we can form a relationship from now until then. And to your point about n- not playing like he wants to be here, I can see why people would think that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I, I, I think he's, I think he just plays like he's got it made, basically. Like he, he's got his contract. And he just kind of going about his business, doing like he's his too comfortable. Do, exactly, that is the perfect way to describe it. And I think you mentioned it on a previous episode too, did you not? Where we talked about Oliver Eckman Larson, because I think that's the perfect way to describe Boel. And and I wonder if if there's some way that Rick Tockett can start to make him feel uncomfortable and start getting him to play like he has a fire lit under his ass, so he's needs to play better. And the only thing I can think of is to go to go to him and say, listen, Oliver, if you don't play better, more consistent, I think that's the thing with Oliver Marsh is he has flashes of playing really well, but like a lot of this team, for whatever reason, he just doesn't stay consistent. So, so I, I think that's the best way to describe him is is that he, like you said, Corey, and I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that one of his problems is the fact that he is too comfortable in the fact that he's been here for 10 seasons. He's he's very used to where he's at. And I think once he, he you know, the, the year prior, he was fighting for the captaincy. Once he got the captaincy, I think he felt like he had kind of, hit all of the things that he needed to and just being here I think he's gotten into almost a routine kind of like anyone else does when they go into a job of you know they're used to it and they're in a routine and they get kind of uh, lackadaisic about it and I think that's you're right in the fact that's kind of where he's at and so I guess when I say that he's playing like he doesn't want to be here it's more in the fact of like he isn't proving to them why they should keep him other than the fact that I've been here for 10 years and I'm your current captain. Those are the only things that he's doing in order to show them that he deserves to be here. And I, I think when he heard all these rumors and everything about him being on the chopping block and him possibly being traded was a big wake up call for him. And even in in that quote, he had kind of mentioned like how it was uh, not a, a very, it was a very unsettling time for him. So um, I think that was a small wake-up call. I just hope that that kind of continues. And, and like you had said with Talkit, like I hope he continues to kind of emphasize that into him because of the fact that he shouldn't be comfortable in where he's at right now because he hasn't been playing up to the caliber that he's possible to play at. And he's not playing to what they're paying him. And um you know, at, at this point, I, I get the fact that, you know, you've stayed pretty loyal to this team, so you feel like you deserve that money, but you have to play for that money. It's That's your job. It's, it's you know, you can't go into your job each day and be like, oh, well, I've, I've worked for this company for 10 years. I can now just not do my job. Like, he needs to be going in and doing the job that he's supposed to be doing because we all know that there's more in him in the fact that you're absolutely correct. He has not 
been consistent. And when you are the captain and you're getting paid more money than you should be, um, you need to be the one that's consistent, even when everyone else isn't. You need to be showing up for those things. And sometimes you have to go outside of your character. So, you know, if talking requires you to be more vocal than you need to be, then you need to be more vocal than that, what's normal for you. You have to do whatever your position and job requires. And he just didn't have that last season. And I really hope that this is a wake up call that he needs to come into next season really strong and uh, showing why he deserves to be an Arizona Coyote. Because with, with, like we said, with Mitchell Miller, like being in the NHL is a privilege, not a right. And you have to show yourself to your teammates and to the front office that you deserve the position that you're in. And uh, speaking of Oliver McMillarson, he's going to be staying here for a while, seemingly. Something else that's going to be staying here for a while is, of course, Arizona State hockey, but they're going to be doing it at a new home by December of 2022. This seemingly has been in the works for a while. Seemingly, it's been one of the few things that's been keeping ASU hockey out of a conference is having a bigger place to play. And it was announced this week that there are plans for a $115 million arena for the ASU men's hockey team that were approved by the Board of Regents Finance Capital Resources Committee on Thursday. It will be a new 5,000-seat arena, which will be where the ASU gymnastics, wrestling, and volleyball teams will compete. It's set to be the full Board of Regents on November 18th. Construction on the project could start in January 2021 and be completed by December 2022. The arena is being proposed to be built along South Packer Drive, just east of Desert Financial Arena, which, if I'm not mistaken... I want to say it's kind of near where Packard Stadium used to be, but I don't. My geography is absolute shit, so I could be 100% wrong about that. But that's seemingly because that's where that's where that is. South Packard Drive, I think, is that's how Packard Stadium gets it, na- it gets its name, and that was right next to Desert Financial Arena. So I I I think that's kind of where they're doing building it. But fuck if I know. Tweet me if I'm wrong. I don't, I'm not really, I, my geography of ASU has been shit since I'm, I haven't been in the school anymore. But this is great news, Corey, especially on the heels of, of this article that Craig Morgan put out on Sunday relating to the growth of hockey here, but the demand for hockey isn't met by the amount of ice that's available. I also want to put in this, I really hope that they allow the club team to play or or at least practice on this ice too and the fact that like you know that is how asu came to be how it was is is the acha team and i think sticking to those roots and still appreciating those roots is going to be a big thing too so i i called it out now in the fact that um uh tate green who um we actually happen to know um because richie and i have uh if you didn't know, that's how Richie and I met was uh, covering ASU hockey. So um, we have a, a long history with ASU hockey, and we know that uh, that definitely they owe what they have today in their NCAA team to the growth of um, their their club team, which, I, I mean, um, I, I wrote back 
in 2015 when I was in Cronkite, I think, um, uh, an article that goes all the way back to the very beginnings of it. And um, uh, someone that, that most people probably wouldn't know, uh, Jeremy Goltz, had a lot to do with all of that going into where we are now you, that a lot of people wouldn't know. So if you you want to, you could probably find that online. I think it's ASU's Untold Story and or something like that. It, it, it's, it's somewhere out there. Um, but there's a lot of history in this that a lot of people, I think, don't know or don't understand. And they hear and see all of the things that are that are going on right now, you know, like they see powers now, but powers was there. Uh, he was, he was, he was under Jeremy Goltz at the time when they started really turning that program around because uh, U of A was actually the most um, prominent team in Arizona at the time. And they started turning that team around and making it uh, reputable. And it was through all of those years of them trying to make a reputable team that we've come to this point it's it's honestly like watching a child grow up to be honest with you because this team has really just blossomed and it's the same way that hockey has blossomed um in the state and i mean we're going to talk a little bit later about the um how many people are actually playing hockey in the state and how many sheets of ice there are and how how that all factors and craig morgan put a really good article out that we'll get to in a little bit, but I, this is literally like watching a, a child grow up and basically get their first successful job is like kind of how I feel about all this is like, they're at this point where they're getting their own arena that we could have never imagined that they would have like, even if you would have come into um, my freshman year, it was my, what year was it? for you that when, when they went NCAA. So I was junior year when they went NCAA for me. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, they, they went NCAA the year after I left, I believe. Okay. So, um, so so you were already gone, but so like when, when me and you met each other, we couldn't have even imagined it being something like this today. So it's so cool to see how far this has grown and to just see how hockey in Arizona is totally viable, whether people like to admit it or not. And I'm glad you told that story because a lot, not a lot of people know that. They think of the NSU hockey program now and, and what it is now, and they think it was kind of always there. And that wasn't the case. And, yeah, I think we'll tweet out your story, Corey, from – from your Cronkite days, because it's it's a story that doesn't get told a whole heck of a lot of often. If you if you if you if you follow some people in the hockey universe, it, um, it was because uh, a student asked a question one time, like, "Oh, that's that's why they got NCAA program." Nah, nah, it was a lot of hard work over more than a decade that went into ASU becoming the NCAA program that it is today and being able to get guys into the NHL. And there's a couple of them now, of course, Joey Decord, obviously. And then obviously there was uh, um, uh, somebody that signed with the Pittsburgh Penguins. His name escapes me at the moment, but, and so, yeah, thank you for telling that story. It's not one that a lot of people, a lot of people know. Um, I don't. I'm absolutely. And I kind of want to interrupt one second, just to say that one of the big things that like really struck me when I was doing that article with, uh, 
Jeremy Goltz, who, who runs um, AZ Mission Ice, which is out in uh, Peoria, um, is the fact that what he really wanted to do was create respect, like that they would respect the program and that people would on it, it took them respecting the program as players to have people outside respect them. And he really wanted to grow that respect from the inside out and really have the older guys kind of bring up the younger guys. And it it's something extraordinary to me because I think that's a lot of what, what makes Arizona hockey what it is today and the fact that like it took it takes a lot of players respecting the game themselves and, and trying to be respectable in order to get um, people like Canadians who love to come down here because it's warm in the winter um, to actually respect Arizona as a state that uh, as, as a hockey state. And I think that's something huge that ASU has done. And I think that they're a great example for going forward because of the fact that that's the foundation they were built off of. So not to interrupt you. No, that's hundred percent. Okay. We're running out of time here. So Corey, why don't we save the Craig Morgan piece about the rinks around town and USA hockey? Why don't we save that for next week? Because it's, it's kind of a, an, a developing story in a way here in, in this market. And so it's a little, little evergreen to use a term in the business so it's not 100% pertinent today to this show so we'll talk about that next week and uh so let's wrap up the show Corey. are you are you ready now for some some random shit i got some good stuff this week don't have any don't have any toilet humor this week but i I still have some some good stuff for you Oh, let me chug the rest of this wine, and uh, I'm gonna need my music before oh, we get yes into this stuff. So we're gonna get funky with it for the rest of this episode here because this random shit gets weirder and weirder each week. What is the what is the pick of the wine this week? I'm not drinking any any wine or anything because I'm not at home right now, and uh, and so I'm drinking a monster is what I'm drinking. Um, that actually, that goes back to old days, Richie. Um, so I am drinking as I reach across my kitchen counter in order to grab it. I am drinking Josh Wine Cellars Cabernet Sauvignon. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. I always fuck it up. I always call it a cab. Like when I'm at a restaurant, can I get the cab? Um, but it is, I don't know, uh, it's its a really nice, okay, here we go. Our Cabernet Sauvignon was the first wine we made. This is the wine that started it all, setting the exciting standards that we hold ourselves to for all our varietals. Round and juicy, that sounds like something that I would hear in a rap song. Um, our Cabernet Sauvignon has been has flavors of blackberry, toasted hazelnut, and cinnamon. Can you please tell the Sporting Nation how you managed to cut yourself while opening that bottle? Yeah, so um, as I reached over to grab this a minute ago, I had to get past all of my Band-Aids and uh, <laughs> bloody napkins uh, because I was lazy. And instead of, I normally cut the very top of my wine bottles off so that way the like outside casing um, 
doesn't get in the way, which is like the, the proper way, you know, you, you usually have a little like cutter thing and you cut it. And I usually just take a knife and cut it. And then I have an automatic wine opener because uh, my aunt loves wine and she's the shit. And so I don't like manually do it anymore. And so I just do that. But so I was like, oh, well, it does all the work. I'm just gonna let it do that. But once I opened it, it had all the rough edges on it and the material on the outside is not like paper. It's like a more of like a strong foil, I guess you could say. And I cut the crap out of my pointer finger and my thumb um, trying to peel it off the rest of my wine bottle. So I, I'm now sitting here with two band-aids on my fingers because it's like a paper cut. They won't stop bleeding. And um, I'm now struggling with the fact that I can't um, use my phone with my right thumb. And, um, you know, first world problems. <laughs> That's story number one, Spore Nation, that Corey can't open a bottle of wine without cutting open both of her fingers. Can't yep, say, I'm on the struggle bus. Can't say I've ever done that. I've, I've come... No, I haven't even come close. So I'm not... Never mind. All right, let's begin... In the NFL, so this is a sports story, albeit a hilarious one. So, fullback Keith Smith of the Atlanta Falcons, 240 pounds. He was on a Bro Bible podcast where he says that he eats the same order from Chipotle four or five times a day. His go-to... A bowl with chicken, rice, and beans. Chipotle's nutrition calculator states that each bowl would be 520 calories. So if he eats it four or five times a day, that's well over 2,000 calories just eating Chipotle for this NFL player. My man, four to five times a day, you are eating chipotle four to five times a day mm -hmm. you are aware that chipotle is one of the places that everyone makes uh fun of as the place that gives you the runs like it is a place that does not always sit well on people um and so one you have to have an iron stomach and intestinal tract and two why like i get tired of something if i eat it like more than once a week you know like i knew that today i might be eating some pizza so i couldn't like eat pizza this week or i would be like irritated that i had it twice this week how can you eat it four to five times a day that's uh that's a great question i don't think i've had chipotle more than five times this year <laughs> as delicious as it is yeah i've maybe had it once a month max and i don't like i i get a much more like leaner bowl so it doesn't sit on me as heavy as like the normal ones normally do and like i can only imagine what it's like to eat that heavy of a meal four to five times a day he's a football player football players are weird all right i got another one for you what if you had about $125,000 lying around? What would you do with it? Would you buy a plane? Would you buy a house? 
Would you go to outer space? Would you buy a Tesla? Would you buy a car? Would you buy into some stocks? Would you run for Congress? Or would you do this? Apparently, starting in May, tourists with deep pockets will have the opportunity to visit the shipwreck of the Titanic. Beginning next spring, this company has a series of six dives planned to visit the British passenger ship, which of course sunk back in 1912. They have both the goals of being research missions and to create 3D models of debris. And it's going to cost $125,000 per dive. Okay, first of all, this sounds like a, an episode of Rick and Morty because there is a Rick and Morty episode where they go to like a, an experience that's supposed to be like the Titanic. And, and second of all, I really hope these people understand the Leonardo DiCaprio movie that you know of as Titanic didn't actually happen. The, the Titanic sinking did happen. That is the factual event. But it is a fictional story that is placed over the top of a factual event. I, I hope everyone knows that. So if you're going to pay this outrageous amount of money, it's because you actually want to go see some the actual event, not because you're like psyched about the movie. And then if you do want to do that because you want to see the factual event, you do realize that a bunch of people died, right? And it wasn't just like the rich people. Most of those people got to get off the boat. It was the people who were the workers and the um, the poorer people that mm -hmm. were lower on the boat that ended up dying. So you want to go down and see a bunch of people that died because they weren't rich enough to get off the boat. Yeah, it doesn't interest me at all. I'm a big history buff. I'm fascinated by the sink of the Titanic and the theories and why it happened and all that kind of stuff, but not in this case. Apparently three dozen people have already booked seats on the upcoming dives, approximately half of whom have also purchased the $250,000 tickets to become space tourists via Virgin Galactic. So rich people, man, apparently they want to go on deep dives and go to space. All right, I got one more. Speaking of space transition. Nice. There may be approximately 300 million other options to set up a home, according to new data from the National Aeronautics and Space Administration's Kepler Space Telescope. That's NASA for short. Between 2009 and 2018, Kepler explored the far reaches of our galaxy in search of exoplanets. And they found out that... Um, a conservative estimate believe that at least 50% of all the sun-like stars have terrestrial planets with the potential for water. More optimistic models guess up to 75%. So if for whatever reason we destroy this Earth, and that's pretty much what we're doing right now. It's, Absolutely. Um, we have other options out there. Yeah, but how would we ever get to them and so many things like the... It's basically the plot, the entire plot behind Interstellar. 
I knew that's exactly where you're going. It basically is the plot of Interstellar. But do you remember in Interstellar, they ended up having to live on a space station for quite a while, long enough that his, spoiler alert, um, long enough that his daughter was so old that she died. Mm -hmm. So um, they definitely were taking all that time to try and get to whatever planets um, that they were meant to go to. I don't think they had one in mind. I don't think they had a, an actual viable one. Yeah, they were actually just getting started at the end of the movie. Yeah. So, and, he yeah. Went, and then the main character, Matthew McConaughey, left his family, his daughter, who had grown up and, of course, was hundreds of year, hundred year old, whatever. He's very, very old and all the, all the grandkids, et cetera, et cetera, and left them to go back to the planet that they would ev eventually end up habitating with Anne Hathaway. So there you go. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, I recommend Which, it. I do really want to like point something out that like bothers me at the end. So, and, and I cry every single time he says bye to his daughter, but I love how he enters into the room and there's essentially like his like grandchildren and his great grandchildren like in that room and no one gives a fuck. Like no one wants to like meet him or is like surprised about him entering into the room and thinks it's so awesome. Like she got moved to that space station specifically to see him and she was like in hypersleep just so she could like see him and all this stuff. And they all watch him walk in like, oh yeah, it's a normal day. Go see the movie if you haven't already. I guess not go see it. Go rent it. Do whatever. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, okay. Um, we ran super long. We usually don't yap this long on the show, but for whatever reason, it was a jam-packed episode. So we're almost damn near an hour. Do you have anything else left to say before we go bye-bye? No, other than the fact that don't spend your money on going to see the Titanic, unless it's for historical reasons of why you you know, you're a history buff. Unless you're a history buff, don't go see the Titanic. It's done. Until next week, Sporting Nation, good night and good hockey, everybody. Some Enforcer Base podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. And now Semenko out in front of the goal, pounding away at Joe Kocher, who's down on the ice, holding the back of his head. Um, you know, actually, much what really surprised me, especially with Twitter being like Leaf Nation, was Grimson over Colton Orr. That actually, that voting really surprised me. I didn't think that would happen. Don't forget to catch the Fourth Line Voice podcast wherever you find your podcast, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. Mark Bergevin. And everybody goes on and on with the whole PK thing and blah, oh, and he hated him because he doesn't like fun and blah, blah, blah. I have heard from a few people that Mark Bergevin's hilarious. No, this guy was a riot. You know, he would uh, be at the bar and he's like, oh, I just had a penis colada. And the girls would like give a double take and be like, what? He's like, yeah, I had the penis colada. You know, I, it's not bad. You know, it's. Enforcer based podcasting wherever you get podcasts from.